Okay. Well, it's really, really good uh, to be uh, here again and uh, talking to you in the next uh, in our series. We've been working uh, through the Sermon on the Mount um, and we've been looking at it uh, with uh, different themes. And uh, the theme that we're looking at, uh, as you'll see up on the screen uh, today, uh, is the theme of righteousness. Uh, and that's uh, from Matthew 5, uh, verse, uh, starting at verse 17. Um, the picture I've got in the background uh, of the slide is, is a, a modern uh, view of uh, where the kind of area, uh, just to give you a bit of a mental image of where this might have been happening. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17. It's quite a long section we're looking at today, but all the words should come up on the screen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, is everyone all right? This is um, heavy stuff, isn't it? It's hard stuff. But as a church, we want to hear Jesus. We want to hear Jesus on the things that sit easily with us. We want to hear Jesus on the things that actually are quite hard and they don't sit easily with us. Um, I think it would be quite a good idea for me to pray at this point before I say anything more, so I'm just going to do that. God, I just ask, thank you, I thank you for your word, and I just ask that you would help us to understand it well this morning. I pray that you would help me to speak in a way that is helpful. I pray that anything that I say that is unhelpful and is not of you, you would just take it away, that we would not remember it. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to life anything uh, that I say from this that um, you just want to um, amplify in, in, in our minds uh, this morning. Help us to understand uh, who you are more as a result of looking at this. Amen. Okay. So, as I said, we've got Jesus saying some pretty strong things here. And the theme that we're looking at this through uh, is the theme of righteousness. So uh, I grew up as a Christian and I went to church and this was definitely on my list of teenage <laughs> words. Like, what, what does righteousness mean? Like, there's something that people only talk about in church, right? Um, you don't, like, apart from maybe people talk about people being self-righteous, but it's not like in the way that we mean it here. So just want to define uh, what do we mean by righteousness. Um, I think... Um, I would want to call this uh, right standing with God and right standing with other people. Uh, so before we look specifically into this passage, just if we look at that theme from the whole of Scripture, uh, the Bible makes it really clear that right standing with God and right standing with other people is not the way that things naturally are. It's a gift that God gives to us. And I think it's, this is really nicely summed up in a little section in Isaiah 61. I don't have time to, to read it now, but if you, if you want to go away, note it down, go away and read it. Isaiah uh, chapter 61, verse 8, and that bit f- uh, following, it talks about the covenant that God makes with his people. 
Um, and then it has this wonderful picture, this image of being uh, covered with righteousness like a robe, like a cloak. It's something that uh, uh, God gives his people. He says, I, I promise to you all of these things. I, I will love you. He makes all of these, these covenants in the Old Testament. And uh, righteousness as a gift is something that you receive and it's something that covers you. Uh, we see a lot about, written about righteousness also in the uh, letters in the New Testament uh, following uh, the Gospels and Acts. We have all these letters to different churches uh, and uh, one of the focus points of those uh, is uh, how it's God's choice to give us this gift of righteousness. But when we look at what Jesus is saying in these verses, he doesn't have that focus. He doesn't focus on being right with God being a gift. The focus is much more on action. The focus is on what do I do? What does living with this gift of righteousness look like? I wonder uh, how you react when somebody is telling you what to do, when somebody's teaching you something that doesn't come naturally to you. I think it really depends on who is speaking and how they're speaking. Uh, so I want to tell uh, two very short stories here. Um, so uh, the first story uh, is a ca a ca my catching a ball story. Um, this is when I was in Beavers. I was, I don't know what age you are when you're in Beavers, but it's quite a vivid memory for me. I was not very good at catching a ball, and there was this time after Beavers had finished one week um, that uh, the, one of the parents was just, we all stood in a circle, and one of the parents, not one of the normal leaders, uh, was throwing a ball round, and I, we all just had to catch the ball and throw it to somebody else. Um, I guess just to keep us all from running around. Um, and... I just could not catch this ball. And this parent got really annoyed with me and was trying to teach me how to um, catch this ball by shouting at me from the other side of the circle what I was doing wrong. And it just got more and more embarrassing. Um, when I learned to ride a bike, that was very much not my experience at all. My, my dad taught me to ride a bike. And uh, we have... Uh, done the same for, uh, for Florence and Edith, our, our daughters. Um, Edith recently has just started to click for her how to ride a pedal bike, and it's just wonderful. And the way that we do that uh, is that Edith particularly needed a lot of encouragement uh, in confidence that she could do it. She could already ride a balanced bike very well, um, so she had most of it. She doesn't have the, have the pedals. So I, I've heard, my back's got quite sore doing a lot of this. You know, you, I, she needs to know that I don't care about the bike. I care about her. And if she has a big wobble, I'm going to catch her and the bike's going to go out from underneath her. And that's fine. And we'll carry on and we'll try again. And she knows the, the that she has to know that that's the case for it to work for her to ride the bike. The way that you react to Jesus' words here in this passage really depends on whether you're hearing the voice. If, let's call it bull guy and bike guy. <laughs> if you're hearing bull guy as you read this, it can be... It can, it, you, you can find yourself doing that. There's a little bit of you that goes, wow, he's being really quite, quite brutal here. Like, this is strong stuff. 
But we know that Jesus is the bright guy. He's for us. When you teach something, I am not a teacher. I have no qualifications in teaching whatsoever. Um, But uh, something that I recognise that teachers do um, is they start with something that the other person is familiar with, things that they already know. And Jesus uses the, the, um, the format here, you have heard, but I say to you. So Jesus is talking here to uh, his disciples. He's talking uh, to people who want to be right with God, who want to be right with each other. And he cares so much for them. And in caring for them, uh, he can see their hearts and the things that are bringing them pain. So he goes to the instructions that they're familiar with the Old Testament law, and he uses that to show up what they need to see. The problem with uh, for us in looking at these verses is we're not so familiar with that. We're not so familiar with the you have heard statements because actually we haven't really heard and understood in the way that they had. We, didn't, we don't have the same context for how these things were interpreted, what the heart was behind them, Um, and how Jesus is using this familiarity to teach something new. So I was thinking, what is familiar for us? What what is the most familiar thing that you can think of? And I would suggest to you, it's probably your house. You know in your house how to move around. And you know where everything, well, yeah, maybe most things are... (laughs) The disciples knew the Old Testament law. They were uh, reading it, they were praying it on a daily basis. And they had this uh, familiarity and knew what it meant they could and they couldn't do. You know how to move around your house. You know where to put your stuff. You know that, you know, that wall, if you walk into it, it it hurts. You know that you don't put your stuff in front of a doorway because if you do, you're going to trip over it because that's the doorway. So this is the way that we live, and there are you know, these kind of rules that we're, we're very familiar with about you know, how you just do your life, how you move around. I wonder if you've ever seen uh, the TV show, uh, Your Home Made Perfect. Has anyone seen that? Yeah, a few nods around the room. Um, so this is where, in, a, in, the, in this TV show, they take a very familiar, a very normally a fairly ordinary home, And they totally rework it and they get in uh, these kind of top architects in. And uh, the the first thing that they do after they've done the design is they get the people in and they put on these um, virtual reality headsets uh, that show them what their house could look like if the architects did what they were planning. So this is a a very familiar home that is totally reworked and uh, extended. They don't break any of the laws of physics in doing that. They don't completely bulldoze the house. The original house is still there, but it's extended, it's spacious, and it's fit for purpose. And I want to suggest to you that's what Jesus is doing here. But how does that work? Because what Jesus seems to be saying is that These these commands that he's giving seem to be harder 
and they seem to be more extreme. Doesn't that close us in rather than opening things out? I would suggest to you that it's only the case if you have ball guy thinking rather than bike guy thinking. So, I want to look at these uh, verses um, through, I'm going to draw out kind of four principles that you can apply to all of these uh, topics. Uh, But just before we do that, I just want to summarise what does he actually say uh, in each of these sections. And most of you in your Bibles, if you're following in your Bibles, uh, you'll see there are um, sections with headings um, which are quite helpful to divide up the material. So, uh, verse 21, uh, so we've got the law says you shall not murder, and then Jesus says, I say to you, he gives some new instructions on anger and on insults. He's, he's got, there's even a little mini parable in there, which is about dealing with stuff quickly so that it doesn't escalate. There's the guy, the, it kind of, the guy ends up in prison kind of when he realises, you know, it gets a bit extreme, but, you know, it's, that's the point it's getting at. Verse 27 uh, has the section... Uh, you shall not commit adultery. And at this very famous uh, statement of Jesus, uh, everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart, what Jesus is getting at here is damage to relationships doesn't start with actions as we would naturally think that it does, but it actually starts before that uh, with thoughts. Then we have verse 31, the section on divorce. The the law says you shall give a certificate for, uh, for divorce. And what Jesus is saying here, what he's getting at is honouring your covenant promises really, really matters. Verse 33 has the section, the law says you shall not uh, swear falsely. And Jesus uh, says, don't make an oath at all. What he's saying is be truthful. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. This is a challenge to um, kind of spin uh, avoiding questions, uh, controlling perceptions of other people by the way that we speak. And then we have the last uh, two, uh, two bits, uh, the eye for an eye, uh, where Jesus brings uh, do not, uh, the instruction, do not resist, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. And then uh, the commands, love your neighbour and hate your enemy in the law. Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so that's the, the kind of as quick as I can, summary of the content. Um, So what are are these principles? So um, my first principle to apply uh, to this um, is handle emotion well. Behind each of these uh, things that Jesus is teaching into are emotions. And we talked about this at the beginning of the year. We did a little series on emotional health. Um, And the first one is really obvious. He's talking, the command is, uh, you shall not murder. And Jesus is talking about anger uh, in that. That's applied to a brother, somebody who's close to you. Um, And then you have uh, the adultery one, uh, which is about wanting something for yourself. Um, The divorce one, which is kind of like a comment on the other one, on uh, on the the last one, really. Um, You shall not swear falsely. uh, The emotion of feeling you want to control things Uh, and then Jesus circles back again to anger in the last two Uh, but rather than being applied to your brother it's applied to somebody who's different from you. So all of these instructions 
sit at the point between feeling an emotion and deciding to do something about it. Whether that be feeding those thoughts uh, or actually physically actively doing something. So uh, to take anger, given that Je- uh, Jesus um, talks on this twice in this, in this section, um, we talked uh, back in January about the difference between feeling the emotion of anger and acting out of anger. I th- actually, I think as you read this, you can hear a, a bit of anger that's in, in Jesus, that people who are doing things that are hurting themselves and hurting others so much. So the feeling the emotion of anger is not not wrong, but we talked back in January about um, uh, the key role of forgiveness in being able to say, actually, I am not going to hold on to this anger. I'm not going to hold on to judging somebody else. God is the judge. Now, Jesus, tell me what I need to do. And Jesus gives us some instructions about what we can do uh, here. Pray for those who persecute you. So I I think these, uh, when we read through this, there's a reminder here to choose to bring each of these emotions before God. There's no judgment for feeling them, but um, in hearing uh, Jesus as uh, the bike guy, we can start to uh, make right, healthy, helpful choices out of that relationship that we have with him. Principle two, I think, that runs through all of this uh, is, I mentioned previously that idea of covenant um, that was in the Isaiah uh, 61 uh, passage. Um, The idea that uh, promises are given unconditionally. We have got nothing uh, to bring from ourselves, but God values us that highly that he honours us with promises to love us, to care for us because of who we are. That makes him joyful. The Bible even says that he sings over us. It's that personal. And that the heart of this passage is this teaching on divorce. Why is that the thing that's right in the middle? It's because it's a covenant that reflects the promises that God makes to us. Jesus is really clear that these promises, whether they're between a man and a woman or between God and us, are a really, really big deal. So we can apply that to anger. Because God has made a promise, a covenant with my brother... I treat him right. And it expands out from there. And I won't stare at a woman who God thinks of that highly. And I will do everything in my power to love the woman who is my wife as best I can to reflect the way that God loves her. I won't try to control someone's response to me when God does not control them. Why should I do that? I even love the people who just seem awful. It seems to be that at the end of the, 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 this passage, doesn't it? You kind of think, God, did you have an off day when, when you made them like that? And God says, no, no, I didn't. Absolutely not. I love them too. Okay, so we've got emotions, we've got covenant. And then principle three, who is vulnerable? So righteousness in the Old Testament is really closely associated with justice. You very often see these concepts coming together, these words coming together. 
God really cares about protecting the vulnerable. A righteous society is a fair one and a just one. And the Old Testament commandments focus a lot on protecting those who are in society who have vulnerability in one way or another. Jesus does that too. But he goes further. The final two sections that you've got in this this bit that we're looking at, they actually flip it around and they say, rather than these are being instructions to protect somebody else when I'm the one that's in the position of power, the go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, love and pray for your enemies commands are for us when we're the ones in the vulnerable position. Jesus has something for everyone to do in advancing justice, in advancing righteousness. If you're following Jesus, there aren't any spectators. There are no observers sitting around waiting for the person in the position of power to do the right thing before they can get on with advancing justice and righteousness. You can pray for those who persecute you. You can turn the other cheek. And finally, principle uh, number four. I think it's so helpful to understand the end goal. What is the purpose of all of this? Doing what Jesus is asking here takes a lot to process. It can feel overwhelming, especially when it's expressed so strongly here by Jesus. I talked about the Your Home Made Perfect show. The guys on that show get their home ripped apart. Sorry, Nick and Claire. I know you're about to do this. Um, There's a lot of hard work to do, but you're motivated by vision. You're motivated by seeing what the end result can look like. Jesus talks in really brutal terms here about lust and how corrosive and how toxic that is to relationships. And it's so bad that he talks about gouging out eyes and cutting off hands. Jesus said all of this stuff to an incredibly conservative culture by comparison with ours. In this culture, you didn't speak to women in the way that we have freedom to in our culture. You certainly don't speak to them alone. Jesus broke those rules. You see him talking to the woman at the well. You see him associating with prostitutes. And he saw each of these people as they were He loved them in their humanity. The goal of his teaching is that kind of openness, that kind of health in accepting one another. That's an end goal that's worth working for. It's similar for anger. The relationships between the guys who followed Jesus were not always the best. It was not always plain sailing. We read about them arguing about who is the greatest. But after the resurrection and Pentecost, they are bound together. They're literally giving their lives to Jesus. There's such a transformation there. 
But it started with them listening to these words and dealing with those heart issues. Natasha, it was just so helpful what you brought earlier. Thank you so much for that. So, we've talked about righteousness. Um, it means right standing with God, right standing with other people. What do we do to live in right standing with God, to live in right standing with other people? How do we hear what he has to say? Do we hear Jesus as the bull guy or the bike guy? Jesus spoke into what was familiar. He showed them something new that built on the old. We had this, uh, I brought this picture of uh, it being like your home made perfect. There's a vision of what could be but we need to make the choice to buy into that vision, to do it, and to work together with Jesus to see it through. There's a commitment, there's a choice, there's a disruption. You can't just carry on living in the way that things have always been. What are we building? It has different layers. We talked about the layer of emotion, we talked about the layer of covenant, we talked about vulnerability, and we talked about understanding uh, the end goal. So helpful to just to see where we're going with this. So, um, if you're able, I think I just I think it'd be really helpful. Can we, if if you're able, can you stand and can the band come back up to the front um, uh, to lead us in this bit? I think all of us can have something that we can take from this. There's a lot of different things that Jesus covers in this uh, passage that we've looked at. Maybe Jesus is giving you vision afresh for what can be. He's high, maybe he's highlighting something to you to work on, deciding to commit to letting Jesus work on your life, to do the hard graft of changing your thinking, changing your actions, changing uh, your habits. Maybe for you, there has been a bit of you that's just felt like, oh, Jesus, this, this is hard because I've, I'm feeling something in me that is responding in a bull guy way. I just want to pray for us now. Let's just see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you that you're here. Thank you that you have been speaking, that you have been bringing your word to life for us this morning. And God, we... Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just recognise that you want to do different things for each one of us. For every single person here, there is something that you're putting your finger on right now. And I pray that we would know what to do with that. I pray you give us wisdom in our conversations about who we talk to about that. I pray that you would bring us freedom as a result. Thank you that 
you have such a wonderful, wonderful vision, such a wonderful, wonderful plan for our lives that is worth laying everything down for. And any part of pride in us that says, no, I want to I I hold on to this because it just feels comfortable. It's the way it's always been. I just pray that you would soften our hearts right now. We could lay it down for you. Because what you want is just so much better. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.